This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Media Conference, and now in its 28th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. General Motors has unmasked a hybrid gasoline-electric version of its Chevrolet Corvette, and there are some surprising things about it. We'll tell you what they are and more coming up. A massive electric vehicle maker was considering a launch in the United States, but now it has rethought that idea and decided to pull back. We'll tell you why later in this segment. And Mercedes-Benz is getting ready to deploy an advanced automated driving system in Nevada. Could other states be next? Could it go into Maine? Well, maybe that's not their next choice, but we'll see. Yeah, probably Uh, not. We'll tell you more coming up. I'm Jack Nerad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. And each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can get the most for your automotive dollar. Chris, what's going on in Maine this week? What's going on in Maine? Well, Jack, today's my tenth, my ten-year-old daughter's tenth birthday. I guess I can say that in the most complicated way possible. But that's terrific. Uh, we've we've got no weather, Jack. It's just brown, sandy roads here and sort of dirty snow piles to look at. I guess that's kind of winter in Maine, though. It sounds like you don't use uh, salt on the roads, but you use sand. Is that what happens both. in Maine? Oh, they, both. They use both. Yep. Yeah. And I guess if it gets cold enough, salt doesn't work to melt the the snow and ice. No, it doesn't. But they do a really good job at pre-treating the roads, which is why so many cars, uh, if you're buying a used car, be very careful if it's from Maine. I will just say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it used to have literal holes through the body, uh, you know, uh, anything north of the Mason-Dixon line. did. What vehicle are you going to be talking about this week? Uh, my test vehicle did not have any holes through the body, thankfully. Yeah, it was a 2023 good. Ford Maverick Tremor jacket. It's the new off-road variant of that pickup truck. I uh, had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to hear about that. And it seems like a perfect time to be testing that with all, all kinds of sand on the road. You're off-roading while you're on the road. Certainly feels like it. I will be road testing the 2023 Hyundai Palisade Calligraphy crossover SUV. It's been facelifted. The Hyundai Palisade has been facelifted for 2023. I had the chance to test it during a very rainy week here in Southern California, so I'll have a full report on that. And I'm very excited about our special guests this week, and there are two of them. Yes, two special guests. Christian Speaker and Jonathan Bueller are both with Nissan, and they're experts on the all-new Nissan Z, a really cool car. I think we've talked about it on the show. It was a finalist in the 2023 North American Car of the Year, and uh, very close to winning, although I think it finished third. I mean, there was just a a tiny number of vote difference uh, between them. A 400 horsepower, an amazing performance car, so stay with us for that interview. They have a lot of insight into that car. I learned a lot from them. But before we do anything else, we'll bring you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world. And let's dive right in on this Corvette. I think maybe some people were expecting a battery electric, an all-electric Corvette, but this is a hybrid Corvette sports car. It was introduced um, on the 70th anniversary of the debut of the original Corvette 70 years ago. Wow, that seems like so long ago. And uh, they're calling it the E-Ray, kind of a play on Stingray. What's your overall take on this thing and uh, the hybrid power and all of that? Well, you know, I think if you're a traditionalist, it's really easy to get upset about these things. If you've owned a couple of Corvettes through the years, you know, you're stuck in gas. It's a gas sports car. Uh, But look at the upside here. The hybrid, it's massively powerful. It's the quickest Corvette they've ever made. Is it two and a half seconds to 60? I think this thing can do. You get all wheel drive. You don't lose any storage space because they mounted the uh, motor on the front axle. 
So I think they've implemented or at least packaged this on paper as about as well as they could have. And I think the, the results, if, if they match up to the numbers on paper, will be uh, will more than speak for themselves. Yeah, tons of horsepower. Yeah, 160 horsepower electric motor drives the front wheels. And having all-wheel drive is kind of a boon in a Corvette as well. I mean, it makes it more of a 12-month-a-year car as opposed to something you you know put on blocks you know when fall comes around and you don't take it out until spring. Uh, that's what I, I didn't put my Corvette on blocks, but I have a 62 Corvette that I've had for a long, long time. And, uh, mostly it has not seen snow occasionally when I, <laughs> occasionally it did early on when I was covering sports and couldn't avoid it, but that was about it. 495 horsepower gasoline, uh, V8 engine, the pretty typical Corvette engine, uh, goes along with that 160 horsepower electric motor. So, you know, that's a ton more horsepower. And uh, as you say, super quick. Uh, they don't mention a top speed, but I imagine it's uh, pretty high. One of the things that's surprising about it to me is it does not use the Ultium battery technology that GM touts so uh, frequently and uh, so vocally. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I think they said they started developing the E-Ray before they had a fleshed out Ultium uh, system, so they couldn't have the two didn't really align uh, in terms of timing. But... Uh, I just, I mean, again, I can't say enough. I really like the regular C8 Corvette. It on snow tires is surprisingly competent in snow as it goes already. Um, but you got to think about the handling capabilities of this car. You know, uh, mid-engine cars are, are better than front-engine rear-drive cars anyway, but you have those extra two drive wheels. I honestly cannot wait to get behind the wheel of this, uh, though there are probably about a 1,000 other people ahead of me to drive it, so we'll see. I wouldn't say a 1,000, and, you know, maybe a handful. <laughs> uh, but you're certainly important to uh, Chevrolet, as we are. You know, we've been Chevy, or I've been a Chevy fan for, like, forever. Uh, although it doesn't seem like it, because we don't test that many Chevys on the show, and I'll have to remedy that. I'll talk to my, my friends at Chevy. I imagine I still have some, so <laughs> we'll talk to them <laughs> about that. But uh, we alluded to the fact that there is a giant electric automaker. It is uh, China's BYD. BYD stands, of course, for Build Your Dreams. Uh, which is kind of a cool name, I guess, for a car company. They were eyeballing, in fact, I think a couple times they've eyeballed going into the United States market. And for one reason or another, they haven't. Now, this time it looked pretty imminent doing some studies again uh, late last year, into late last year, um, with the desire, of course, to compete with Tesla. Uh, where they and they compete very well with Tesla in the China market, for example. But then they have kind of backed away from that, and uh, there's several reasons for that. But you know, what's your overall take on on BYD and uh, what they do? You know, it's really interesting to see these massive companies that have never set foot in the United States selling everything from EVs to home appliances and you know whatever else they, these companies build. But they certainly have the financial backing. You know, people wonder if they can actually survive in the U.S. market financially. There's plenty of money there. It's a, this looks to be a political game or a political issue, I think, more than anything in my mind. Yeah, I think so too. I, it, it seemed that they were poised to launch at CES, which took place earlier this month. And then they decided, well, let's not do that. <laughs> and I think, uh, as you mentioned, I think it is um, political and, and maybe even trade tensions, uh, hopefully not military tensions, but tensions between uh, China and the United States um, is a, a big reason they decided this was not the time uh, to go into the U.S. market. I think they were also turned away by um, the Anti-Inflation Act, <laughs> Uh, which certainly penalized uh, those companies that build electric vehicles not in the United States. And we're still sorting through that and, and kind of ad nauseum. We've talked about that on the show. But it's, it, 
it's one of those things where, and you and I have talked about this too, Chris, unintended consequences, right? I mean, the goal of the Anti-Inflation Act, or one of the goals, and there are many, is to bring green vehicles into the United States. And yet every time we report on it, it's another uh, uh, suggestion that they're they're not bringing in green, green vehicles or they're penalizing green vehicles from elsewhere or this or that. And the, the American consumer isn't getting the electric vehicles that they might have otherwise. Yeah, or even vehicles that we thought would be eligible are suddenly ineligible or become eligible again for a different reason than what they were supposed to be. But, you know, I think that's something that Venfast, which is the uh, Vietnamese EV maker that's also just entered the United States market, they're facing the same issue. I think they're going to build a facility here. But until they do, these costs, you know, American automakers, established automakers here have that that benefit or that advantage. Uh, but if I'm BYD, even if I have all the money in the world, I would be skeptical of entering the United States. I mean, look, they're still discussing uh, banning TikTok, which is owned by a Chinese company. They're still, you know, they banned all these smartphones that came from Chinese companies. So uh, caution is absolutely warranted here, I think, from BYD. Yeah, I absolutely understand. They're a big automaker, as we say. They they sell 1.3 million uh, battery electric and plug-in hybrids, or they did in, in 2022. That's a ton. Uh, they trailed Tesla in fully electric cars by 400,000 units or something like that globally. But still, I mean, this is not some kind of uh, rinky-dink manufacturer. This is a manufacturer that could bring a lot of different models, uh, pretty appealing models, into the U.S. market if it decided to. And uh, yet we're not going to see those. So uh, I guess more is the pity or maybe not, depending on how you look at it, depending on how you feel about stuff built in China. Well, I'm a big proponent of choice. I think more choice for everyone is helpful, even if it's no matter where it's from. So I hope they can get around it and figure out a way to bring them here. Yeah. Well, we'll see about that. Hopefully that will be the case. And we uh, also talked about Mercedes-Benz about to deploy an advanced automated driving system in Nevada. They have petitioned with the Nevada Department of Motor Vehicles to uh, deploy this system. And um, what Nevada does is they do self-certification. They <laughs> let the manufacturer certify itself. Uh, this will be SAE Level 3 automated driving, so a step beyond what we have seen up till now in things like the General Motors and Ford systems and you know a lot of highway uh, driving systems now, which are essentially Level 2 systems. This can be a hands-off-the-wheel for some time, and you know if you wanted to, you could watch a movie or something like that while this is going on. So interesting stuff. I agree. The thing that Mercedes is doing that Tesla hasn't done and others haven't done so far is they've decided they're going to take liability on uh, themselves if the system malfunctions, somebody gets in a wreck. I think uh, I don't want to speak to the legality of all these things because I'm not a lawyer, but uh, I think that's a big step that they've taken that others haven't that may actually be the the sort of tipping point before people, governments at least, start to accept these things. Yeah, well, I, I, we're getting closer to that. Now we'll see you know, what the consumer level of interest is in this uh, that will be something interesting to to find out as well uh, these are going to be I think very expensive systems uh, but interesting that Mercedes Benz would bring that out and uh, it seems pretty imminent so well when we come back we will be doing some road testing and road testing of the Ford Maverick Tremor and the Hyundai Palisade Calligraphy so stay with us for that with Chris Teague this is Jack Red with you and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. We're glad you're with us. Stay with us through the break. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine. Back with you. And it is road test time on America on the Road. And interesting vehicles. I'm really interested in what you have to say about the Ford Maverick Tremor. Uh, Tell us all about it, Chris. 
Yeah, you know, I, we talked about the Ford Maverick uh, on the show last year. I think you had driven it on the uh, release drive, and I drove it a few weeks after that. And just both of us were very impressed with the size and maneuverability and then the value, right? Because this truck starts at, even the 2023 model, starts at less than $24,000 if you order it and go through the process of of getting it. But uh, Ford upgraded the 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 line this year with a new trimmer package. You can get it for the XLT trim or the Lariat trim. I tested it on the mid-range XLT. Uh, this is with the gas engine jack. It's not the hybrid engine, so you get all-wheel drive instead of front-wheel drive. Uh, the price, as tested, came out to just a little bit more than $33,000, so that's with some options and accessories. But even just sort of middle of the road, if you start this truck out, you can get it for around $31,000, $32,000 if you're buying it at MSRP. So uh, if we take a step back and look at some of the specs, this is a two-liter EcoBoost, it's a, so it's a turbocharged four-cylinder engine. Uh, it's got... Let's see, 250 horsepower, 277 pound-feet of torque. Uh, it's paired with an eight-speed automatic transmission and, as I said earlier, all-wheel drive. Jack, have you driven the gas Maverick or have you only driven the hybrid? I have. No, I have driven the gas Maverick, and I, I liked it. I mean, it kind of transforms it in a way because it has significantly more horsepower, although I would say the hybrid with its immediate torque from the electric motors, I mean, on launch, it they don't seem all that different. Yeah, you know, I think... So, yeah, so the last one I drove was the hybrid. This one doesn't feel quite as responsive, but again, there's plenty of horsepower and torque here uh, to get things moving. Uh, as I mentioned, the trimmer package here is an off-road sort of, you can look at it as an appearance package, but there are some functional details here. Uh, it rides a little bit higher. It's got all-terrain tires. Uh, it's got some really unique styling, which I like. It actually adds some sort of uh, muscular feeling to the Maverick, which uh, is a little bit, I don't want to say soft, but it's very friendly looking otherwise, and some people might not want that in their pickup truck. Uh, but you can only get this truck in a crew cab format, Jack, so you get it in four doors, five seats. Uh, the interior space is the same no matter which trim you get. Uh, Ford did some really clever things on the inside of this truck, so it's not as plush as like an F-150, even a lower-trimmed F-150. Uh, there's some hard plastics and some things, cloth upholstery. But uh, you get neat storage spaces. The door handles are a cool shape, and they've included these uh, receptacles for 3D printed accessories. So you can 3D print an extra cup holder for the back seat if you if that's interesting to you. If that's uh, if you need that, uh, but plenty of room inside for both of my kids. You know, I did end up jockeying a little bit with my six-year-old for uh, legroom. You know, I'm six feet tall. She's now. Uh, quite a bit taller than she was when I started this job, so uh, a little bit a little bit tight inside. But I think if you're a family of four or family of three with a dog, uh, you'll get along just fine in this truck. There's an eight-inch touchscreen that comes standard here. It runs Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, uh, which is a great benefit for an entry-level truck like this. Even the base uh, the base hybrid trim gets it. And you can upgrade with a B&O stereo and wireless charging and all those things. What do you think, Jack, about the comfort of the inside of this truck, the everyday livability? It's not quite a full-size truck in that regard. You know, I, I love the interior of the Maverick uh, for its cleverness and for the, uh, for the fact that they're willing to depart from the norm, right? I mean, we see interiors, they're all nice and they look good, but they're kind of the same, the same, the same. This is not the same. They're kind of embracing the fact that this is inexpensive and they're using materials that aren't all that expensive. And yet they're designed really in an interesting way. And uh, I applaud that. I think it's pretty cool. And, and the comfort's pretty darn good, I think, for five people. Yeah, the thing that came to mind here was that they had used their time and their efforts designing something that was useful rather than something that was flashy or, you know, just super or um, sort of surface level uh, uh, beautiful, I guess. I don't really have the right word for it, but uh, the truck really is useful, even though it's got, like I said, cloth and things. So it's not the most luxurious. Uh, towing is 2,000 pounds, this truck. Uh, there's plenty of bed space here, Jack. You're not going to cut, I mean, you're not going to carry giant slats of, uh, 
plywood or sheetrock in this truck or drywall, I guess some people would call it. But uh, plenty of room for me. You know, I made a couple of dump runs. I was able to haul a couch to the dump with this thing with uh, some tie downs. So there's more room in here if you're you're willing to look for it than than a lot of people would give it credit for. Uh, again, I'm just going to go back to the value. I think even at $32,000, if you buy this truck without a markup, uh, it's a steal. You get the capability you need. The all-wheel drive, even without the all-terrain tires on this truck, is plenty for snow. You know, we had we got some ice over the weekend. I took it out. Uh, had no trouble at all, although all-terrain tires are not winter tires. You still get plenty of traction. So I think, Jack, all around, just a great truck. It's maneuverable, easy to get into the, the small New England streets. You know, everything's really close together here. So full-size trucks are a little much for me, but I think this hits a sweet spot. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot to like about it. I, my wife calls it a toy truck. I think it's a lot more than that, and I think if she spent some time with it, she'd like that. But, uh, you know, she likes country music and the, the big truck. So uh, if we ever move to a farm, which is doubtful, uh, that's probably what we're going to get. But I think the Maverick <laughs> is very, very cool. Agree. Well, I was driving the Hyundai Palisade facelifted for 2023, and they've done some nice things with it. You know, this is a mid-cycle refresh is what they call it in the industry. And they go over the truck, change the front end, change the rear end. They might change things in the interior as well. And they've done all of that with the Hyundai Palisade. So that is cool. I think it's better looking. I think Hyundai is a little miffed that um, the Kia Telluride, which is the same basic platform, gets all the plaudits and the Palisade uh, has not got the the, the kind of uh, reviews that uh, Telluride has. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons they are very... Uh, excited about this refresh of the vehicle and i think it looks good i think it looks better and i think it looks like the flagship of their lineup which it really is uh it's a substantial vehicle they've done some nice things inside as well 12 inch navigation is now part of the infotainment system you know just a 12 inch display system that's pretty big for a vehicle this size and you're pretty close to it wi-fi hotspot the the kind of catch playing catch up there but at least they've got that installed now um, and some new features to their Blue Link connectivity, so that is all good. More driver assistance systems. Um, you know, I could describe some of the changes exterior-wise, but uh, it's better to look at pictures than hear me talk about it on the radio. You can probably see it if you're witnessing the YouTube version of this. You can see what the changes are, and they're pretty cool. They have enhanced the driver assistance systems, uh, forward collision avoidance assist, navigation, smart uh, assisted smart cruise control, which is kind of cool, I guess. Uh, if you need assistance in, in figuring out that you're about to go around a curve and maybe you should slow down, it will help you doing that. It also has this level two highway driving assist, which you can be hands off or you kind of hands on the wheel, but not paying as much attention uh, for periods of time. So that's all to the good. I think they, they've just done really nice things with this vehicle. I mean, this was a vehicle I liked a lot to begin with, but they have installed now the Ergo driver's seat. I think the uh, their answer to Nissan's zero gravity seat, uh, very, very comfortable driver's seat. I like that. They now have heating uh, heated seats in the third row. Congratulations on that. And uh, something that, you know, just begged to be done. Those, those third row passengers need as much help as they can get. Uh, it's... They haven't changed the engine compartment, though. Still a 3.8 liter V8. Uh, it's a direct injection engine, 291 horsepower, which is sufficient horsepower. Um, does a nice job of towing, too. I know that even when they first put this in the market, they were uh, keen on uh, the ability to tow. It's important that this vehicle be able to tow, and so they, they do that. 
Uh, it can be all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. All-wheel, uh, I'm sorry, front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. Four-wheel drive and all-wheel drive are pretty much the same thing, or, or darn close. It has the Hyundai H-Track four-wheel uh, four drive configuration and now has a tow mode, uh, which makes it even better for towing. Uh, it does some special things when you have uh, added weight on the uh, rear axle, uh, which is all to the good. Uh, I mentioned the safety assistance that they have, so they've done a nice job with that. And the fact that so much of this stuff is standard is very useful. I was driving the Calligraphy Edition, which is their super high zoot model. I mean, it's got all the bells and whistles. And yet it is priced right, I think. I mean, the vehicle uh, I had has a base price of about $51,000, $51,400. And uh, as tested, it was a bit more, but not too much more. And it has kind of everything you'd want in uh, a luxury midsize SUV. It, it looks good inside and out. It has soft Napa leather seats. I think a lot of people might mistake it for a, for a luxury brand vehicle, even though it's coming from Hyundai. Uh, I haven't given you a chance to talk about it at all, Chris, but yeah, you probably have an opinion on this vehicle. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Every time you say calligraphy, I think autobiography, which is a Land Rover thing. And that's, you know, I guess that probably the vein they were trying to get into with this vehicle. Uh, the big selling point with these when they came out were the, was the price, right? They were right around $50,000 all in. And the fact that we're now, what, three years later, two or three years later, and it's only now a couple thousand dollars more than that for everything you can get included in that. Uh, I think it's great. You know, it's a shame that people did gravitate towards the Kia Telluride. Both are fantastic. As you mentioned, they have the same 3.8 liter V6, the same chat or the same uh, platform and a lot of the same engineering underneath. So um, I'm glad they got the styling figured out, but that was probably a big uh, differentiator between the two. Um, but I do like the, I like the, uh, the Palisade and uh, I can't wait to drive the newest one like that you just drove. Yeah, and I think it looks better. I never thought it looked too bad before, but I think they've enhanced it pretty significantly. And so it's certainly one to look at, uh, two vehicles to look at uh, for, I think, really different reasons. But the Ford Maverick, um, very good value in the Tremor trim uh, off-road at about $33,000. And um, so look for that. And then the, uh, the Hyundai Palisade in all its trims. Uh, topping out around $50,000. So that's terrific. Well, when we come back, we will have two guests who are experts on the Nissan Z, an exciting 400 horsepower vehicle. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Hi, this is Jackie Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days, he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel, so he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. 
That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack and Red back with you. We have two really interesting guests for you. Uh, talking about a legendary car, the Nissan Z, uh, now available in a whole new iteration. With me is Christian Spencer and Jonathan Bueller, uh, both experts on this car from Nissan. Thanks to both of you so much for being with us. Give us some background. Christian, I'm, let's start off with you. I, certainly, you're not as old as me. I remember when this vehicle was, uh, the first uh, 240Z was introduced. It was quite exciting to us. Got a lot of attention. It dates back 53 years. I date back a little longer than 53 years. Give us some, some hints about what has happened with the multiple generations of the Z car. You know, it started in 1969. That's when we launched the vehicle. It was the, the two. 40Z at that time, and we went through many iterations um, uh, through the 260 to the 280 to the 300ZX to the 350, the 370, and now the, the new 2023Z. Um, so there's a lot of heritage. There's a lot of history. Um, we're very proud of that 53-year going on 54-year heritage, and uh, and we tried to keep the, the recipe basically the same, and it's a front-engine, rear-wheel drive sports car with a long hood and uh, swoopy hatch and it ends abruptly at the end and that's kind of the recipe we've had since the beginning and we've, we've kept it through the through the new vehicle as well. One of the things you're doing too and uh, maybe Jonathan you can speak to this is the fact that this is an accessible vehicle this isn't often the stratosphere in terms of price uh, this is something that many of us can buy I think the uh, average transaction price of a vehicle out there is actually higher than the entry-level price of the uh, of the Z car. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So since its inception, as uh, Christian was mentioning, back in 1969, this was definitely a, a value-oriented vehicle for those looking for uh, performance with amazing styling. And so that recipe has carried on uh, through the decades. And as we've launched this new Z, it's been very apparent to, to us at Nissan, but then also, you know, based off of the feedback we've received from our our consumers, and then more specifically, our enthusiasts, that that's the same recipe that we want to keep moving forward with. And so it was uh, instrumental for us at Nissan to, to continue that. And uh, and yeah, what you see is a great package that starts just below $40,000 for a you know, V6 twin turbo with 400 horsepower rear-wheel drive and a six-speed manual transmission. Let's dive into that a little bit. Christian, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, the engine and, and what you've done there? Because uh, it's kind of a a different take from what we've seen before in the Z, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, so we've got a twin turbocharged uh, engine. It's a three liter twin turbocharged engine, which actually we have had in previous Zs, but uh, in the 300ZX. This one is a much more robust, more powerful engine. It's 400 horsepower, 350 foot pounds of torque. And we have sourced it from uh, the from vehicles, the Infinity line actually, from the Q50 and uh, Q60 Red Sport. Uh, it has unique tuning. Um, it has some unique componentry, such as a recir recirculation valve, and it's got some more modern technology that uh, older uh, turbocharged engines don't have, such as the turbo speed sensor that improves performance, uh, improves response, and also allows us to get more power out of a smaller turbo, which improves efficiency and throttle response and acceleration. So it's a it's it's a really great. Uh, power plant and that 400 horsepower was a was a target number that we really wanted to, to go for in the in the new vehicle. So significantly more horsepower and at the same time even better drivability I think and, and, and tell us why. Walk, walk us through that would you? Yeah so the the drivability comes from the increase in torque. The 350 foot pounds uh, is almost 80 pounds it's 80 pounds more torque than we had um, uh, in the outgoing vehicle but the outgoing vehicle to reach that 
that torque number, you had to rev it up to 5,250. The new vehicle generates that torque from 1,650 RPM and carries that all the way through up to the 5,250 number that we have in the old car. So you've got that huge amount of torque throughout the entire rev range. And so not only does that increase the acceleration capacity of the vehicle, but it improves the drivability because you get that torque from a low RPM. So you don't have to wind the car out for day-to-day driving. Well, you can be at part throttle and then dip into the throttle and you don't have a spool up time, right? I mean, in racetrack terms, not necessarily all that important, but it certainly is in terms of day-to-day drivability, I would think, to have uh, that torque lower in the rev band. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't you don't have to downshift. You get, you get what we call, we call um, tenacity, where you get that pull from a low RPM and you can stay in the, the stay in the gear that you're in and generate that acceleration. And then as you wind it out, you get what we call stretch feel. And that's that continuous pull as you go up to redline. So it's really kind of a, it's a really pleasing car to drive because it's, it's powerful throughout the rev range. It's, a, it's really fantastic. Walk us through the speed sensor. That's fascinating technology. Yeah, no, it is novel technology in the industry. Um, so what conventional turbocharged engines use is uh, basically a pressure relief valve, a wastegate or some other sort of technology to get rid of um, excess pressure when the turbo gets up to a, a set a, a set speed. But you can't actually measure it directly when you're using pressure. So you have to put in a little margin of safety. Um, and so you're not really generating the full amount of power you can. What we're using is a speed sensor that directly monitors how fast the turbo is spinning. And so because of that, we don't have to have the same margin of safety. We can drive that turbo right up to its red line. We can get more power out of a smaller uh, size turbo and those smaller turbos then can improve throttle response and be more efficient as well. And so it's kind of the best of both worlds. You get the efficiency, you get the power, um, and you get the drivability out of out of a you know a smaller set of turbochargers. Two transmissions available, and uh, Jonathan, maybe you want to address this, and, and certainly uh, Christian can too. Was there any temptation to eliminate a manual transmission, or is that solidly in the DNA of this vehicle and? And necessary. Yeah, it was absolutely necessary. And, and Christian can also attest, but, you know, in the forefront of the development of this vehicle, it was very clear, you know, from the top down that, you know, manual transmission had to be a part of this car in some form or fashion. From an enthusiast point of view, it's absolutely necessary. And especially with a car like Z, that's so visceral and has such a connection with the driver. That's absolutely something that, you know, we fought to have. And it really wasn't that difficult of a fight. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, in fact, it it wasn't that actually wasn't a fight at all from the R and D side. It was it was a top down mandate that this eliminating that the manual transmission is off limits. That we're launching this car with a manual transmission, and and unlike other vehicles that do have manual transmissions, this is something that the customer really wanted. It's you know it's not a five or six percent take rate. It's a very high double digit take rate that the customer demands. So it was it was something we knew our customers wanted. Let's talk about handling. I mean, certainly handling is a big part of the story too. Uh, what are some of the things that uh, you've added or, or modified to improve handling in the, in the new Z? So we did a lot. A lot of our, the focus, this isn't an all new vehicle from the ground up. We really took, we kept what was important and we modified what the customer really wanted. And it was performance, was the, the forefront of the, of the model. And handling was part of that performance. So we um, we increased the tire size uh, for both vehicles, both the sport and the performance. And then from there, we did spring uh, and shocks. We did stay bars. The shocks went from a twin tube design to a monotube design, which is a more high performance damper. 
And then we went and completely redid the steering system as well. So we uh, went from a hydraulic system to a rack-mounted electronic power steering system, or rack EPS. And that really gave us the tuning flexibility that we needed to get this, the steering feel right in the vehicle. And so uh, we reduced understeer, we increased grip, and the car's more neutral, and overall, you know, just a, just a joy to drive. It's really, it's really a fun car. And you've gone to a limited slip, a mechanical limited slip, is that correct? That's right. We had a viscous type in the, in the previous generation, and we went to a mechanical type uh, in this one. And so that that improves uh, response and also improves torque distribution left to right as well. Well, I alluded a little bit to affordability. Jonathan, maybe you can walk us through the through the grade so uh, our listeners can understand what the value is here. Yeah, absolutely. So starting uh, at the entry grade, uh, so our sport uh, provides a, a plethora of uh, great amenities, um, all the way from you know uh, your set drivetrain uh, with 400 horsepower, 300 foot pounds of torque, getting the 12.3 inch TFT meter display that's, you know, configurable to your needs. Uh, but then also, you know, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto is standard on an eight inch screen. Uh, and that starts at 39,990. So again, under that 40,000 base price uh, to get, you know, this, this great value overall from a sports car. But then you move into the performance grade, which is our top grade. So that one now features some additional performance bits that Christian was speaking of, like the mechanical limited slip differential, but then you also get uh, the bigger Akibono brake, so four piston caliper front, two in the rear with larger ventilated rotors, 19-inch uh, forged uh, raised wheels, uh, as well as a larger interior screen. So you moved into a nine-inch screen, uh, but then you also get the leather interior and as well as some additional accents and then the Bose speaker system. Now. Uh, specific to 2023, we have a launch edition or a proto spec, which is based off the performance. This gets you um, a special Ikazuchi yellow colored interior, um, as well as yellow brake calipers. And then, of course, the exterior color is limited to Ikazuchi yellow. Um, but what's also special about this is that it also comes with the forged race wheels, but in bronze. So it's a clear differentiator uh, between any of the other grade levels and any other color packages. So uh, only 240 of those were offered, and uh, I'm pleased to tell you that the majority of those have already been sold to our consumer base. So, um, yeah, that limited edition has become even more limited. And uh, that wasn't a super high price, something like $52,000, $53,000, I think. And then you start well under $40,000, right? That's correct. So, yeah, the Sport was at uh, $39,990. Performance was at uh, $49,990, so just under fifty. And then for that Proto Spec Special Edition, limited to 240 units, was 52,990, so just under 53. Well, uh, Jonathan Bueller and Christian Spencer, thanks so much for being with us, telling us all about the the uh, new Nissan Z. Very exciting vehicle. I have one in my driveway, and I'm looking forward to driving it over the weekend and just you know tearing it up a little bit. So thanks for thanks to both of you for for being with us. We appreciate it. All right, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red back with you. And uh, it is listener question time. We love taking your listener questions and answering them, helping you out with uh, what we know about cars, which is, uh, I guess, more than a little through the combined knowledge of Chris Teague and Jack Red here. It's easy to reach us with a listener question. Send them to editor at drivingtoday.com, editor at drivingtoday.com, and they will reach us, and then we will answer them on an upcoming show. And uh, let's do that right now with a question I think we have. Um, this is from Leroy in Sugarland, Texas. He says this, I'm, I, I'm researching small SUVs, and I'd like your opinion. There are a lot of them out there. 
the RAV4, CRV, Jeep Cherokee, a whole bunch more too. What is your recommendation? Ooh, that's going to be hard, but there's a, a few great choices here. I think the Toyota RAV4 has been around one of the longest. It's one of the longest running small SUVs around for good reason. Uh, the, the RAV4 Prime is even better. You get over 300 horsepower. You have a plug-in hybrid powertrain. Uh, it was Toyota, Toyota's second quickest vehicle until the GR Corolla came out earlier this year. Uh, I think the Hyundai Tucson plug-in hybrid is also a great choice. Uh, both of these assume that you have some shorter commutes that you're doing throughout the week or that you you know, you know take advantage of the, the plug-in hybrid powertrain. But if you don't, the Honda CRV hybrid is also a very good choice. It's actually more fun to drive than the gas uh, CRV and you get, you know, great fuel economy there. I think between those three, you can't really go wrong, Jack. I want to get your opinion there, but I think also maybe the Nissan Rogue is a good uh, look. The latest Rogue is surprisingly nice inside. Uh, the three-cylinder engine is surprisingly powerful. I think surprise is a good word for me to use for that vehicle uh, because it is better than most people think. You're good at this, Chris, because <laughs> you hit all the high points and I, I really have not much to add. I think that, you know those are terrific vehicles out there. My uh, middle daughter has a previous generation RAV4. It has been Knockwood bulletproof for her. It is one of the best selling, I think it's in the top five, one of the best selling vehicles in the United States. I think it's the best selling vehicle with the exception of the three full-size pickup trucks. Uh, so a lot of people are liking it. And I would say too, uh, you don't necessarily have to buy a new version of any of these vehicles. You can you, Very often you can buy one that's a, a year old or two years old um, and get all the bells and whistles you want. Um, that's what we did when we bought a vehicle for her. Uh, we actually bought it out of a, a rental fleet. You know, look for certified cars from uh, your local dealer. And uh, I think those are good takes too. And uh, I think you've really hit all the high points. The CRV, uh, the non-hybrid uh, CRV from Honda is a terrific vehicle as well. And then uh, if you like interiors, and I seem to uh, be the guy who rates interiors frequently on the show, I think the Nissan Rogue has a really good interior for for a vehicle of this uh, caliber, right? Yeah, and we mentioned their seats earlier in the show. The Nissan's seats are among the best, and they put them in almost all their vehicles, so you don't have to get the most expensive truck to get uh, zero gravity seats, but they are fantastic for longer drives. Uh, you mentioned buying a certified used car. My, I've owned two RAV4s. I own one of the previous generation as well. I bought it in 2013. It had a thousand miles. It was a dealer demo vehicle. It ended up being one of the most fantastic cars I've ever owned. So uh, I think that's a great option too. It's good that you mentioned it. So that, those are our recommendations. Uh, uh, but I think you've, you've hit the high points with the RAV4, the CRV, Rogue, and Hyundai Tucson. And I think uh, one I would add to that is the Kia Sportage, kind of the the cousin of the uh, of the Hyundai Tucson. Um, now full size, you know, uh, the same size as all the others. Before the the Sportage was a little small, but uh, so those are our recommendations, I think, to Leroy in Sugarland, Texas. And, and thanks for writing in. Well, here's another one. I think this will be a prompt some uh, maybe some uh, disagreement uh, among us. Uh, or between us. I think it's, uh, it can only be between us when there are two of us. It can't be amongst us. But uh, here's the question from William in Muncie, Indiana. He says this, We keep hearing that EVs are the answer to climate change, but are they? I think I heard where the amount of carbon other countries are releasing into the atmosphere would more than cancel out any reductions we make through electric vehicles. Do you guys have thoughts on this? My goodness, it feels like I'm opening a can of fiery worms here. Uh <laughs> I think buying an EV with the expectation that your personal contribution to the overall greenhouse gas environment, uh, environmental issue 
uh, may leave you feeling a little bit disappointed because of what you said. I think the production of electric vehicles creates its own uh, amount of greenhouse gases and driving a gas vehicle while driving a gas vehicle creates the same gases. Uh, it's going to take a while of driving an EV before you start to even chip away at the amount of uh carbon that was produced while building that EV. At the same time, you mentioned other countries producing everything. The seven biggest industries that produce greenhouse gas, are energy, agriculture, manufacturing, food, retail, fashion, those things are going on all over the world. So uh, I don't think you know EVs of any sort, even if we all converted to EVs, are going to stop those sorts of things because people are still going to buy iPhones and everything else under the, the sun. I'm not just going to pick on Apple there. So it's a tough nut to crack, isn't it, Jack? It's it's it really is a tough nut to tr- crack. And, and you know, if you look through natural history, what you find is uh, mankind just adapted to climate change. There have been much more radical climate change than what we're potentially facing now. So uh, that's another way to look at it is adapting to it. And I think one of the reasons that uh, you know mankind or a person kind, uh, to be more politically correct, I guess, uh, is thriving and, and perhaps dominating the planet is their ability, is our ability to adapt to things where others in the animal kingdom haven't been able to do that. I mean, that's kind of a whole different sphere of things. When you look at uh, some other countries, though, you look at China, you look at India, if we were to convert every vehicle on the road to an electric vehicle tomorrow, which we are certainly not going to do, I think uh, that probably wouldn't happen until something like 2050 or somewhere like that, when maybe I'm not even around it still would not change what's going on in other countries across the world. I mean, we look at a lot of EVs in China, but China is building coal-fired generating plants to fire up those electric vehicles. And they're doing that because they don't have oil and natural gas. You know, so they do have coal. So, you know, there are a lot of geopolitical things that go into this. It's really not not nearly as simple as a lot of people think that if we convert to electric cars, then everything will be uh, okie-dokie. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting, Jack, you mentioned the Chinese uh environmental issues. I think a lot of the reasons why some of these countries are in the situation they're in is because they're producing goods for us to then consume. So uh, production companies, producing companies tend to, to produce these sorts of emissions. But you're right, it will take a very long time uh, to start to chip away at that. Yeah. Well, and you just have the giant giant population in, in countries like India and China, uh, where their population dwarfs ours, where they have not, uh, most of those people have not obtained the consumer goods that we are lucky enough to have consumed, but they want to get there. You know, they aspire to having the same kind of uh, lifestyles that we have. And um, I don't know that anybody wants to go back in terms of lifestyle, although I think there are people who would like to send us back to uh, a situation that's, uh, you know, much more, uh, shall we say, at best frugal (laughs) than uh, the lifestyle in which we we lead right now. Well, that's a, that was a big issue. Well, here's a little bit of a smaller issue, but uh, an important one, uh, certainly for this family. Shelley in Franklin, Tennessee says, I'm thinking about getting a car for my son before he goes off to college in the fall. Do you have any recommendations? He's going to an in-state college and would probably drive back and forth to home several times each semester. Yeah, well, you're in Tennessee, so the snow, where I'm from, at least in Tennessee, snow is not that big of an issue. Uh, So I think you don't have to get an SUV or anything with all-wheel drive, especially if you're going to be doing a lot of highway commuting here. So uh, used Honda Civic, used Toyota Corolla, used any Japanese sedan is probably a good idea. Um, Even a lightly used Hyundai or Kia with that really long warranty would be a great choice, I think, for this as well. If you get one that's more recent, you can get some of the safety technology, and the prices are coming back down 
down to earth a little bit uh, slowly. So don't quote me on that just to, right away. But uh, those are some great values and they offer good reliability and fuel economy. If you want reliability, I mean, you, you might look to Kia. They've won the JD Power Reliability Award, I, I think, a couple times in the last uh, two or three years. Uh, so like you say, I think a used vehicle, fairly lightly used, maybe two, three to maybe five years old. Uh, would be a terrific vehicle for them to have. And you've identified a lot of them. The Kia Sportage, uh, Kia Rio are, are good ones to take a look at in, in that sphere. Maybe an even larger car, maybe a, you know, a Hyundai Sonata uh, that's three or four years old, but that's maybe more car than uh, you know, their son needs. Uh, but the buddies would certainly appreciate it. Yeah, when I was driving between Knoxville and Nashville on a regular basis, it's about a two and a half, three hour drive on a bad day, maybe. I was going a little bit quicker than I should have. But uh, Honda Accord was a great car for that trip. It was super comfortable. This is, you know, 20 years ago now, but the new Accords are even better. So a little bit more space never hurt anybody as long as you can afford the uh, the upfront purchase cost. And I think if you get something that uh, has a few miles on it rather than being new, uh, you can maybe upsize one one class or, or two, and that isn't a bad thing either. Well, I, that brings us to the end of this show. I always love talking with you, Chris, about cars. I, I, hopefully, we've helped people out here in, in the listener question section of the show. And uh, thanks so much for lending your expertise to us. Well, thank you for having me yet again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I will say if you like what you heard and you want to bring us with you on the road, head to sportsmapradio.com and hit the Saturday schedule there. You can find our formatted radio show as well as Uh, our podcasts on all the major platforms, Apple uh, and everybody else. Have a look at my new book, which is called Dance in the Dark. It is a crime thriller based on true crime. It's available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback form. So check that out. Uh, As Chris says, if you like the show, pass it on, uh, review it well, and join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road right here on the SportsMap Radio Network. Hi, this is Jack Red, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, He meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel, so he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out.